Hey there, everyone. This is Ray, and welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey, Lee, who's in the studio today? So today is May 16th, and we have Ray Y in the studio today. He's from Springfield, Virginia, by way of Wisconsin. Oh, fantastic. Well, Ray, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Fantastic. Well, we start the show by having the guest read the Daily Reflection. Ray, would you get us started? I sure can. So Daily Reflections, May 16th, we forgive. Often it was while working on this step with our sponsors, our spiritual advisor, that we first felt truly able to forgive others, no matter how deeply we, we felt they had wronged us. Our moral inventory had persuaded us that all around forgiveness was desirable, but it was only when we resolutely tackled step five that we inwardly knew we'd be able to receive forgiveness and give it to. That's from 12 Steps, 12 Traditions, page 58. What a great feeling forgiveness is. What a revelation about my emotional and psychological and spiritual nature. All it takes is willingness to forgive. God will do the rest. Fantastic. So, Ray, uh, before we begin, what is your sobriety date? My sobriety date is July 26th of 2019. You know, as I read the Daily Reflection, obviously it's about forgiveness. We're in the fifth month, so we're talking about the the fifth step. And I guess this is really more about step four going into step five. But um, was there somebody on that list that you had trouble finding forgiveness for? Oh, there's a few people, to be honest. Um, you know, when I first started that list, it was a big task. And um, I thought that I was going to be putting a grudge list of everyone that I was mad at. And I was never going to look at my part of that. You know, I was going to be taking their inventory. You know, I totally read that wrong out of the big book. And, um, you know, after going over with my sponsor, um, after writing that list wrong the first time, I realized that there was more to be done. And I was looking at my part. But... Going back to your question, as in if there was somebody I, I, I thought I couldn't forgive, there was um, there's a few, and I went over them with my sponsor. I, I expressed to him that I had anger towards them and I had a lot of resentment, and I had a hard time seeing my part in that. And I want to say there is no justified resentment. Granted, we we are going to be angry at some things because they, people sometimes attack us in different ways, but um, we cannot hang on to that resentment. We have to forgive. We had to let go and let God. And that was one thing I had to do in that situation. So for those few people, you know, I, it was either I was going to live in misery, sit there and stew on them and stew on them and stew on them because, you know, I was just so resentful at them. And I was proud of that resentment. I was going to hang on to that. Uh, but until I was able to to let go of that, I wasn't able to be free. I love that, Ray. And um, I love how the book says, as we as we work that four step, it becomes very obvious that a lot of people have absolutely wronged us. And yet 
resentment and anger is the dubious luxury of normal men. But for people like us, you know, we have to flip that and look at our partner and see how we can forgive. And I'm just curious because you and I talked a little bit before we started recording and you just turned 21, right? Yes, ma'am. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. you. And I'm just curious at such a young age, you know, would you share with us what made you willing to even do this stuff? Because most, most people your age really don't even want to take a look at anything like Absolutely. this. So what made you willing to start looking at yourself? Well, I'll tell you, you know, my drinking, it started out as a way to, to cope with life. I thought I was not feeling whole inside. I was not comfortable in my own skin. I was not able to fit in with others, I thought. And I was about to age 12, I started taking my first drink. And like I said, it was to give me that feeling inside that I couldn't feel, you know, comfortable on skin, comfortable around other people, just okay with myself. I gave It gave me that feeling when I took a drink of, <sighs> I could finally take a deep breath, you know? And so I chased that feeling, you know? I got, it got me into trouble at a young age. I was 13 years old, did, did my first breathalyzer. You know, I got home, I'm in a cop car at age 16, but at age 15, I was in a, I was in a drunk driving accident and that wasn't my fault though. It was, a, I was hit by a drunk driver head on, you know, and I, I thought that was straight my life out. You know, I, I would never touch a drink again. And I was, like I said, I was drinking pretty heavily before that time in between ages 14 and 15, but I had my last surgery two months after my accident and I went and got drunk that night, you know, chased it, like I said. So long story short, the last few years of my drinking were period under hell. There were sometimes ups and downs, but that's what brought me to sobriety is that my my life drinking was undesirable by anyone, I think. And that's that's the that's the facts about it. You know, it's interesting that uh God God put this concept of sobriety in your life in a couple of different ways and you know, you were hit by a drunk driver. That's insane. I'm, I'm sorry that happened. But tell me a, a little bit about how you found the program of recovery and what was it like when you started to work the steps? For sure. So like I said, I got sober when my life did become pure under hell. And what that brought me to was moving to the East Coast from Wisconsin. Because as Lee said, I'm from Wisconsin and um, did all my drinking there. And um, my mom and stepdad live on the East Coast here. And um, they had offered for me to come over and get sober, get help. And they offered this for a while. After I got my DUI, you know, they had come and consoled me and gave me a solution. I didn't want it. They had actually given me a 12 and 12. I had no idea what the hell it was, to be honest. And um, I read the first step out of that 12 and 12 and I slammed it shut. I went and got drunk that night because I saw myself in there. But I wasn't willing to face that at that time. I wasn't ready. Finally, then on uh, July 24th or July 23rd, my bad, I had reached out for help. I was at my bottom and um, it was either I was at my jumping off point where I was either going to jump out my apartment window, take myself down to jail and turn myself in because they were chasing me or ask for help. And I prayed. I prayed to God to help me. And he gave me the courage and the strength to pick up the phone. And talk to my mother, who I haven't talked to in months, and was worried about me. And um, ask her for help. That's what I did. So then I came over to the East Coast. Came over over here, drunk on a plane. And um, they took me to rehab. 
And at rehab, they um, they went to AA meetings. And on my second day sober, I went to my first AA meeting on a Saturday night at 8.30 in Olney, Maryland. That was a step meeting on the seventh step. And when I stepped inside of that meeting, what I saw in there were people that had the same disease as I did, but they had a way of living, which I did not have. And they were happy, joyous, and free, and they were able to walk through this life not worrying about having to take a drink. And if they did, they had a place to talk about it and people that cared about them to help them through it. So I sat down in that chair, shaking, scared, and not knowing what my life had in store for even the next couple of weeks. When it came time, when they asked if uh, anybody had uh, less than 24 hours, less than 29 days, or this desire for a new way of life, I raised my hand. Said my name's Ray, I'm an alcoholic. I went up and got that chip and I got that hug. And I was crying like a little baby. Because I was feeling a hundred different forms of fear. I was feeling a hundred different emotions. And I saw you what I did feel good though too. Because I knew exactly where I needed to be and I was right there. And for some reason after that meeting, you know, we were sitting there. We said the prayer at the end and a feller came up to me. And I still incorporate him in my life today. Old timer, he had 35 years. And he said to me, I swear it's not a cult. You know, it just it made me laugh. I laughed. And um, I then got his number. I got other numbers. And I, for some reason, asked to go to a meeting the next day. And I went to the next day and the next day and the next day because right there was something that worked for me. I then was able to meet my sponsor, my spiritual advisor. He was a giant of a man, I thought, at two weeks sober. He came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder. And he looked just like a spiritual giant in my life. He said, what's your name? I said, my name's Ray. And he asked me if I have a sponsor. I said, no, I don't have a sponsor. He asked me if I wanted a sponsor. I said, no, I don't want a sponsor. He said, I'll sponsor you. <laughs> Little I knew this man that was wearing sweatpants and sandals had you know, 33 years of sobriety, and he was willing to help me achieve sobriety and take me through steps. That's wonderful. And, and you had told us that your sponsor with 33 years of sobriety actually got sober at a very young age as well. Yes, that's correct. Which I'm sure has been great for you um, to be able to relate to his story that way. Oh, of course. How did you guys get started on working the steps and how how quickly into your recovery did you start doing that? Well, for sure. So I'm a slow learner. Um, you know, I'm of the educational variety where I'm going to hurt until, uh, until I'm ready to do something about it. So my sponsor right away recommended to me that I start reading the big book on my own. If I had any questions, reach out to him, underline things. And by underlying things, I mean underline words I don't understand, phrases I relate to, phrases I don't relate to, anything. Underline it. We'll talk about it. I did not do that. I did not. You know, I figured I can get by by doing the least I could until it didn't work, you know, until, you know, I was a, a month sober, month and a half. And I'm just like, man, man still feeling weird. And he's like, well, why don't you start reading? Why don't you, um, and start calling more people. So when I did start reading that, I started to understand the steps. And as I read through them, he asked me where I was, and I was unknowingly, well, he was taking me through one, two, and three with me unknowingly. Because we'd be in a car riding a Honda Civic, smoking cigarettes on the way to a meeting, and he'd be asking me about my spiritual belief, how I am with my higher power, how I'm practicing his will in my life today, am I turning it over? And... So we started doing the one, two, three like that. Then all of a sudden, we're coming back from a meeting one day. I was two months sober. He said, well, I think it's time for you to start writing. And my, I mean, I, I was scared shitless because 
I've heard all kinds of horror stories about this fourth step, writing it, and you know everything in between. But I also read in that book what the fourth step does for us, and the free free feeling I can get from doing this, the forgiveness I can have for people, which you just read about the daily reflection. I desired that, so I got to write. And um, you know, it was a slow, long process. I was scared. I was not ready to look at myself. It took some hurting to finally get that done. As I said, I got fired from a job because I didn't show up. You know, I go to my sponsor. I said, what is the problem with me? He said, you're, you're not doing step work, you know. And at this time, now I was living with, with my sponsor and two other men with a total of 80 years of sobriety in the house. And there was me at three months sober. And I tell you what, what an experience to have the opportunity to live with them. Um, you know, three men with such such great times, so many experiences in the program, and uh, to use those tools. But it did, um, you know, after I I got fired from that job, I, I got really started moving forward into my step work, and um, I got motivated to do it. And I finished my fourth step, did my fifth step, worked on six and seven. When I did six and seven, I thought I had this um, overwhelming change in my life. After I read that seven-step prayer, and we got back, took the big book off from the shelf, and we read through six and seven. Next morning, I woke up. I felt the same damn way. I was upset, but I realized that it's a it's a it's a process, and there's a process taking the rest of the steps. I've now been able to work through the rest of the twelve steps. You know, I sponsor other men. I work with other alcoholics. I take people to meetings. There's always an alcoholic. I'm in my vehicle. I work with alcoholics. Um, it's a joy I get to have. It really is. It's amazing to see the recovery in action. I'm thinking about like somebody who's who's young and doesn't know anything about the program. What would you tell them? You know, now that you've been through the steps and you're experiencing some peace in your life, I'm gonna two part question. The first thing is, what would you tell that person that's still struggling with a life with with drugs and alcohol and experiencing the the pain associated with that? And what would you tell their parents? Oof. Those are two very good questions. I tell you what, first thing I will say is keep coming back. If you have the opportunity to sit into a room of alcoholics, you know, keep coming back because one time you're going to hear exactly what you need to hear. And they'll give you everything you need when it comes to, to living if you want to live. You know, I've seen people come in and out that they don't want it, so they ain't going to have it. It's, 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 it's a shame. And when it comes to, you know, with parents, I put my parents through hell. I think a lot of us did. And there was nothing I wanted more than for them just leave me alone. I want to just live my life. I want to be an adult. You know, I wanted to experience all the things I could. And my parents worried a lot. For the last probably eight months of my drinking my dad, who I hadn't spoke to in months because I was just, me and him were always very tight. I decided that our relationship needed to end for a little bit. He had a go bag packed for me, whether it was I was in jail, in the hospital. He was going to take my, my ass right to rehab or somewhere. But he had a bag packed for me because he was so worried. You know, he didn't know what was going to happen. But I think if my parents would have come in and intervened with my drinking at any other time, because I was mad when my mom and stepdad had come and done an intervention with me, technically. 
made me dump on all my beer. And that made me drink harder, to be honest. Made me drug harder. Drugs are a part of my story, too. You know, they, they addressed me about my cocaine problem. You know what I did? I went and got harder stuff then. I recommend for the parents to, to be on standby, but be in the shadows as well. Because an alcoholic is a sick person. And there is a beast inside of every alcoholic, I believe. And um, that beast can be unleashed, sadly. For the newcomer as well, I do just recommend keep coming back. It works if you work it. Wow, that's, uh, for lack of a better word, a sobering thing to hear as the parent of a probable alcoholic in, in active addiction. But I think it's one of the wisest things that I've heard is beyond standby, but also be in the shadows. Because as we know, this is a disease of self-diagnosis. And until I was ready to get help, nothing anyone said was going to work. Of course. It's a little scary as a parent to hear because, you know, we want to be able to do, say the right thing, do the right thing. Maybe that find that magic phrase that the person will hear and decide to get help, but that's just not the way that it works. No human power can relieve us of our alcoholism. Absolutely. I'm so glad you made it in, Ray, and I'm so glad that you've grabbed the program by the horns and <laughs> become so active in it And as far as service to others. And I'm just curious, talk a little bit about the freedom that you found here of course so the freedom i found is something that is almost undescribable you know it talks about in the night step as in the promises we'll find a new freedom and i did now i'm going to tell you my life is not absolutely perfect today i don't do the right thing all the time i'm not a saint the freedom i have today when i lay my head on the pillow is something i never had that's one thing that i can i know a lot of people can relate to and that is that when I lay my head at night, whether I'm tired, not tired, I can close my eyes and not stew on stuff. I cannot let things take up rent-free space in my mind, not let them eat my lunch. And it's one thing I'm blessed to have. If there is something that comes up in my life, I have the opportunity to talk to it with other alcoholics. I can talk to my sponsor about it. I can take it to some random person that gave their number at the meeting on Tuesday night and say, it's what the hell is going on right now, I need help. And of course, I can always pray because there's nothing too big I can't take to God. And that gives me peace and freedom right there. Because if I close my mind to God, I close my mind to everything else in my life. Did you have a concept of a higher power before you entered recovery? I did. I did. So um, this is a funny thing. I, I grew up Lutheran. And um, you know, I, I had service in a church. I had service around my community, You know, whether it be um, doing community service through a youth group or being an usher. And, um, or doing other things around the church. And um, due to a resentment, which is what we're talking about today, I grew farther away from the church, whether it was the people inside the church as a whole, God that I understood him as. And um, so I came into Alcoholics Anonymous with this concept that I was a devout Lutheran, and I had all knowing of God, and that other concepts were nothing. That's the way I thought, you know, as if I was supposed to be a, you know, devout to my God that I that there could be no other way. But that was wrong. That was selfish and that was, you know, arrogant to me. And um I then talked to my sponsor about that. And he told me, he said, you need to be open to all concepts. If somebody doesn't believe in a higher in, in God at all, but they have a higher power that is the spirit of life, then I believe in that. I support them in that. And that's a change that I've had over time. Like I said, I was very close minded when I first came in here. And it, it's taken a lot of time to be able to accept that. 
other religions, other beliefs. And I will say to the people that are new to coming in here, this is not not at all a religious program. It's a spiritual program, a spiritual way of life. And I don't pray to, to Jesus Christ. I pray to just to God, a higher power that I believe in. You know, it's what gives me that peace inside. I, I just wanted to follow up on that and um, and ask you to imagine that you didn't have a higher power in your life before you came in. And mm-hmm. maybe, you know, talk to the folks that, that are maybe coming from maybe a not re- not a religious background at all. And yep. uh, and I, I want to also ask you if, if you work with other men that have struggled with the concept of a higher power. I do. I do. Um, and, um, you know, one of the men I sponsor, he, um, he has had resentment after resentment after resentment against God. Every spiritual aspect is out there. Every religious aspect is out there. He's, he's, he's told me, he said, I'm not agnostic. I'm not atheist. I'm just pissed. You know, I'll say to people that don't have that experience that you can have that spiritual experience. You can have that uh, that spiritual awakening and that spiritual relationship with the God that's or a, a power that's greater than us. If you read through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll see it many times. There's many random words that are highlighted or capitalized in the text there. And I love that because there's little, little subtle things that those capitalizations are something that's higher than me, so a power that's greater than me. And it could be many different words. It could be many different things. It's not just God. It's not just our only creator. It is any power that's greater than us. I'm grateful to have that. You know, I'm grateful. I'm, I think it's a wonderful thing because there's people that we meet all the time that they they, they don't want to look at it as a religious way because they have had some bad experience or no experience at all. They've heard bad things about the religion and then they struggle with getting sobriety or working the program because of a, a preconceived idea. What I'll say to the people that, um, you know, they, they haven't had that experience, just give it a shot and just come around and believe in the spirit of the program for a little while. Because what is in the room of, of Alcoholics Anonymous as well is something magical. It's something that is... It's a, you can feel the spirit inside of there. You see the light when you walk in that room and the people on their faces, their emotions or gestures, and the sound that you hear when you're in there. And, um, you know, you can always believe in Alcoholics Anonymous because it's something right in front of you that does work. It talks about it in, uh, in the big book. And um, we put our faith in so many things we don't see. You know, whether it's electricity, you know, whether other things around our lives that we, we just have faith in. You know, we come in AA, you can see that it's working. You can see that you can have faith in it. You know, you see around you, it's proof. So if that's proof enough, I recommend just believing that until you find something else in your life. I love that, Ray. I just want to, as we wrap, just thank you for showing up uh, so authentically, so honest. I'm so impressed with your open-mindedness and willingness to look at yourself and change. And like I said earlier, embrace the program the way you have. You're going to help so many people. Thank you. So huge. So glad you didn't jump out your apartment window and you chose to pick up the phone and ask for help because you're going to change the world. Uh, the, the ripple effect is going to be huge. Um, as we close, is there a final thought or anything that you want to make sure that 
that anyone listening hears today? Of course. I will say this, especially as a young person in a program, that sobriety is not boring. Sobriety does not have to be boring. does not have to be uh, a great life. I thought that before I'd gotten sober. I thought my life was going to be colorless. It was going to be happiless, I guess. You know, it was going to be something that would just be another dreary day. Because I had seen people around me that, you know, were kind of not fun. And I just didn't want to be like them, you know. But I tell you what, I can still go do anything I want in this world, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent. I ain't got a drink on it, though. I can still go hang out with my friends that I've met in the program. They're absolutely sober. We can go do some reckless stuff. But we can stay sober doing it. Now, we may experience some spiritual consequences, but I tell you, that's a lot better than that hangover, than that DUI, than that jail time. That phone call from mom or dad saying, where the hell are you? Are you okay? Because they know I'm safe. They know all my, my, my mom and stepdad know all my friends. They, and they don't question if I meet somebody, go, you know, go on a three-hour trip with somebody, go do something that they never met. And I just met the week, week earlier. Because it's, you know, we're safe here. And um, I want to make that clear to a lot of people that this is not, you ain't got to fight this tooth and nail, especially when you're in the rooms, you know. AA is F-up friendly. And, um, you know, you can come here, you can make mistakes, you can, you can do right, you can do wrong. We'll love you and accept you until you can, yourself. That's all I really got on that. Thanks so much. <laughs> It's been a great conversation. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Thank you, Ray. Beautiful. Thank you all for having me. Beautiful conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day. This podcast produced by Lee McGinnis and Michael Lynn. Audio editing services by Jeff Bame.